You might have noticed a shift in the way the media reports on mental health, specifically a shift in the language they use around suicide or the circumstances under which they talk about schizophrenia. It's not by accident. Dr. Elizabeth Payton is project lead on Every Mind's MindFrame program. MindFrame supports safe media reporting, portrayal, and communication about suicide, mental ill health, and alcohol and other drugs. She joins me today to talk about how safe media reporting can improve the stigma around mental ill health and increase the likelihood of help seeking from those experiencing it. Oprah, Steve Jobs, Andrew Denton, Arne Doe. To me, these guys are masters of communication. The rest of us, well, mainly you, because I'm a pro, fumble our way through. Comical examines this funny little thing called communication that can either tear us down or make us sore. Join me, I'm an amateur comedian and a communication expert. Join me and listen, learn and laugh through the experiences of my very talented guests. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Marie. Thanks for having me. An absolute pleasure. Really excited to talk to you today about MindFrame and the great work you're doing. I wanted to start by kind of understanding how many people suffer from mental illness in Australia. So the research that we have at the moment is that approximately one in five Australians will experience a mental illness in any sort of 12-month period. But across our lifetime, almost 45% of all Australians will experience mental illness of some kind. That's a lot of Australians. But I think what's important to remember is that we really don't know who those Australians are. It could be someone you know, it could be people in your family. So important to consider. Do you think there's some people who themselves don't know that they're suffering from a mental illness? Yeah, it's possible. Some people may have symptoms, but not necessarily a great severity that they might meet the criteria of a diagnosable mental illness, but they may still have mental health problems that can affect their lives in some way. And how would you say mental illness is currently portrayed in the media or in popular culture? So I think portrayals of mental health and mental ill health have been improving, particularly over the last 10 to 20 years. So we've definitely seen more of an emphasis on well-being and taking care of your mental health. But unfortunately, we're still working to reduce stigma and stereotypes around mental illness, but also to increase, I think, the positive representation, particularly for things like complex or severe mental illness. So we recently released a new set of guidelines on media reporting of severe mental illness in the context of violence and crime, because unfortunately, there's still an imbalance in representation of mental illness like schizophrenia, for example, that doesn't really accurately match prevalence within communities. So what does that mean? It means that sort of the only time we really see schizophrenia, for example, in the media is usually when there's a murder trial or violence and crime in the media. But we know that there are many people living with schizophrenia who are not at all violent. But if we only ever see those kinds of representations, that can have an impact on how the community feels about people living with a mental illness, that they will make assumptions that all of them, all people with that diagnosis are going to be violent. And that's really inaccurate and harmful for people in those communities. So what would the ideal scenario look like then? I think having better representation, not just focusing on negatives, 
like things to do with crime or violence, but increasing ways of including people living with a mental illness into news reporting, into our television and film, people who who live well with their illness, that they are maybe receiving treatment and managing their symptoms, that it's not always the extreme cases we need to see in our representation. When a celebrity reveals that they have experienced a mental illness or living with or in mental ill health, how would you phrase that? So living with a mental illness. There we go. Yep. When they reveal, then it helps to destigmatize mental illness. However, would the rest of us need to share or disclose that we have a mental illness, say, to our employer? Well, I think taking a step back, I think celebrities sharing their experiences can be positive and can open up that space for people to talk about their own experiences. But it really depends on how it's reported in the media and how it's discussed on social media. So if you think of recent examples where celebrities have talked about their own mental health or mental illness, how has that been treated? How was it reported on? Were they made fun of? Did they get accused of making it up for attention? That kind of media attention can increase stigma and make it more difficult for people to talk about. Talking about your own mental illness is a really personal decision about whether you want to share that, where you feel comfortable to do that. And if we have these celebrity stories where they're being or they're not being believed or they're being ridiculed, then that's obviously going to have an impact on people wanting to disclose their own information. But it is, it's a very personal decision. And I think each person needs to think through that for themselves, what the consequences might be, whether that's positive or negative. It may be a really good opportunity to educate people or to debunk some stereotypes or myths about what it's like to live with a mental illness. It may impact on their work and family. We still have stigma about mental illness in our community. Will this disclosure opening themselves up to potential stigma have an impact on their life in some way? Could it have an impact in a positive way, i.e. disclosing that you have a mental illness and disclosing it for a reason, i.e. needing extra support or needing to be cut some slack or take some time off or whatever it might be? If someone was to do that, what kind of language would they be using? Again, it's going to be really context dependent. We have speaker guides on our website for people who are going to be sharing their lived experience publicly, whether that's talking to the media about their experience or they might be speaking to a community group, for instance. We've got some language guides there, making sure that the language they use about their own experience isn't going to create negative stigma for others who may have a similar diagnosis. But there are ways to do it safely and ways to talk about mental health that can help to increase help seeking when people need it or to increase awareness and affect community attitudes. Sometimes that's as simple as just changing your language. Stop using colloquialisms, for instance. Things like a nutter or a psycho. Pulling that kind of really casual language out of our conversations can be helpful. Often that kind of language isn't accurate and it's out of context, but the impact of those things is that people living with a mental illness may feel like they won't be taken seriously. If people are throwing around language in a negative way or in a joking way, 
how will they be treated if they do disclose? So we recommend reducing that kind of really jokey, casual language where possible. Speaking of jokey language, is there a role for comedy here? A role in them perhaps advancing education on mental illness? Well, I think there is and there isn't. Comedy is a really subjective area and there's a lot of potential for stigma to be increased. So I think a lot of comedy, for example, is around exaggeration and stereotypes. And when we're talking about mental illness, that can be quite harmful, particularly for people living with a mental illness. But we also know that people use humour to get through difficult situations, that that's how they cope. And comedians, I think, need to be mindful about translating that into their work. If they want to share about their own lived experience as material, it's entirely up to them, but how it's delivered will make a difference to whether it educates people and encourages help-seeking or whether it creates more stigma and stops them from feeling like they could reach out for support. Is achieving one of them okay? So, for example, if it were to inspire people to get help but also did play on stereotypes and took us back a step from a stigma point of view, would that be acceptable or are we aiming for both here? Well, aiming for both ideally, but again, I'm not sure that they balance each other out. We know in media portrayals, for instance, that most most media about mental illness is negative and it's really difficult to counterbalance that. You can't just put up one positive article and suddenly the stereotypes are gone. You're working with or against the weight of big history of negative kinds of portrayals. So I think comedy needs to do similar and think about are they just adding to that enormous kind of stigma and the weight of those stereotypes or is it actually moving us towards, I think, a more positive representation or a kind of a space where people feel able to go and get support when they need it. You've got your work cut out for you, don't you? Like the size of this is is huge. How are you tackling this? Like for example, how are you educating the media and how do you know if you're engaging enough people or making enough of a difference? Are you literally listening to media and analysing coverage? Is that the way it works? <laughs> So the Mindframe program works in a couple of ways. So our primary kind of target or sector that we work with are those people that communicate publicly the most and with the most people. So that's the media. It's also other communicators. So it might be a, a public relations person or a comms person that's embedded in another organisation. And we also work with stage and screen creators. So we work across both fictional and factual representations. We do a lot of proactive work with them. So we engage, we go out to them and, and offer training and support. And we do get journalists and other creators coming to us to help support their work. So for instance, we might get a call saying, I'm doing this story on mental illness. Can you have a look and make sure that this is okay? So we do that before things go out. We do also work kind of reactively as well. So if there are stories that do go out live or to the public that have problematic content, we do get in touch and work with journalists or editors to potentially edit that work or to remove content that's problematic, but also then to upskill them to make sure that if they are doing more of these types of stories, that they have the skills to be able to do it well. We also work in pre-service training. So we get to journalists and PR 
students in universities before they even get into their newsrooms or their business, which is, it's really great to build those skills up early. But then we also work with anybody who might be a media source. So people who are sharing this information with the media and supporting them through this process. That might be someone from the mental health sector. It might be a community group, people with lived experience. It might be governments. Anybody who might be sort of interacting with media in some way, we aim to get them across the guidelines so what they're sharing is safe and they can also remind the journalists to keep their reporting safe as well. So all of that kind of adds up to sort of reaching a lot of media and public communicators and hopefully we are seeing continued improvements. I think over the last 20 years you've probably seen some of those. So you might have noticed that we're increasingly seeing things like help-seeking information attached to stories or content warnings. How long did that take you? That's fantastic. Like You won't see many stories these days that don't have a trigger warning or remind me of that statement they're putting after most stories now with a link to or a phone number for Lifeline or Beyond Blue or whatever it might be. Is that a result of work of organisations like yours? And how long did that take? Because seemingly it happened overnight. It's been part of what we've done. I think this shift towards including help seeking has happened over the last sort of say, I think 10 to 20 years. And that's, I think, matching a couple of things that we've started to get more research that says that news stories can have an impact on people and the content that they're sharing can have an impact. So we've strengthened that evidence base behind what we do. But we've also seen social shifts as well, that there's more content about mental health and mental ill health in the media, and we're continuously improving that. So including help-seeking is one of the guidelines that we promote in Mindframe, but I think it's certainly been a group effort across the whole community to have that increase over the last decade or so. What about the change in language around the reporting of suicide? So it used to be committed suicide and now the language you see or start to see more and more is death by suicide. That to me seemed to happen overnight, like something I've just seen in the last six to 12 months. I'm assuming a lot of work went into making that shift, right? Yeah. Again, it's been a slow process and probably over the last 10 years, I would say, that that shift has started to happen. But what it's, I think, evolved from is we've started to see more lived experience stories. So people who have a direct experience of suicide, whether that's their own behavior or caring for someone, or they've been bereaved by suicide, someone they've loved has died by suicide, that we're hearing more and more from them that some of this language is stigmatizing. And we think about the word commit, for instance, and commit refers to crimes or sin. And associating suicide or suicidal behavior with crime or sin makes people afraid to talk about it, that they're worried they'll get in trouble and suicide behavior is no longer a crime in Australia and a lot of other countries. They might be worried that they'll get shunned by their religious community. So if we keep those associations together through our language, then that it doesn't encourage people to seek help if they're worried that they're going to get in trouble for instance, or they won't be taken seriously. So that shift towards more neutral language away from that sort of value judgment of the word commit to died by suicide helps to separate those things. 
and destigmatize talking about suicide and getting help when you need it. If I have my own business or I'm working in a company, how do I ensure that the people in my organization are using the kind of language that creates a psychologically safe and healthy environment? Well, there's, I think, a few things that you can do. I think one of the things that you can do is proactively encourage and show that you value good language. And that can be through modeling that behavior yourselves, having key individuals that might be the boss or key influencers modeling that behavior within an organization. It can be providing resources, providing training to show that you value that good behavior, incorporating good language into behavior standards, for instance. That's certainly one way. One of the other programs that we have here at Every Mind is the National Communications Charter. And that's like a, a unified approach to language and to messaging around suicide, mental health, mental ill health, and social emotional well-being. And that kind of is a pledge to use better language. So organizations can sign up to the charter and also work on implementing the charter throughout their business practices as well. But where do they learn the language? Is there a document that they can download that says, hey, this is the language you should be using day to day in the company? Yeah. So the National Communications Charter has some language guides included and in their implementation guides as well. And really easy things that organisations can do to help to encourage their use. We also have language guides in the Mindframe program as well. So as part of our guidelines, we have some of those guidelines around using words like commit, but then sharing alternative language or preferred language that people can use instead. We take a look at the potential impact that language can have and then offer some alternatives. And are these things that they can use in everyday scenarios, for example, if someone might have taken some sick leave or if something's occurred on the team or someone's noticed something about a team member, how is it used? Like in what kind of scenarios would they use it day to day? I think in terms of using language guides, if our everyday language is safe and it's sensitive and it's appropriate, that creates an atmosphere where people feel able to talk about what's going on and to seek help when they need it. If they're in a scenario where you notice that someone is distressed or their behavior has changed or you think that they may be experiencing a mental health issue... I think there are certainly guides available for how to have those conversations. Then we're talking not just about language, but actual ways to be able to have those conversations. I think for employers or for managers, Heads Up has a range of online resources, guides, fact sheets to help them support someone with a mental health condition. But I think it certainly helps to encourage people to be aware of these things as issues, to increase their knowledge about different mental illnesses, what their symptoms are, so that if you do see a sign or a symptom, you know that, okay, now's the time that I might need to reach out to support someone. It can also help, I think, to drive organisations being ready to support someone if they need it that signing up to the National Communications Charter, for instance, 
one of the things that you can do as a step there is having available what your resources are within your organization to support someone. So putting up a poster that says, if you are experiencing mental ill health, here are ways that we can support you. That might be some tools or resources. It might be what your organizational help seeking may be. So a company, for instance, might have an EAP or an employee assistance program that their employees may not know about. Making those things public and sharing those proactively goes a long way, I think, to help supporting employees. What happens in a scenario where somebody accidentally uses negative language Mm -hmm. unintentionally in the workplace? How are those scenarios best handled? I would always advocate for a prevention first kind of focus <laughs> and, and doing the work, yep. um, particularly in an organization yep. to kind of set people up for success where yep. possible. That's sort of. But it doesn't always happen, right? Because we're human and we make mistakes. It doesn't. But I think if people are aware of appropriate language to start with, you've got a place to go from. Most organizations will have their own kind of standards of behavior and how they deal with things like that. In a social setting, it can be really hard to call out negative language, but it can be useful to do that. You'd obviously need to think about whether it's safe to do that. But often people don't realize that their language may be impacting on others and a quick pull up can be enough to change their behavior to say, you know, hey, that language is actually quite stigmatizing towards people with a mental illness. How about you either cut that language out or here's an alternative. It can be an opportunity to talk through that. You know, my friend has a mental illness and I'd appreciate it if he didn't have to hear that kind of language. Things like that, I think, can help to change behaviours. And it can be just a simple pull up. It doesn't need to be, I think, a big confrontation. It can just be part of a conversation, I think. So what's the big goal for you guys at the moment? Do you have something in particular that you're working towards? Oh, that's a big question. Our overarching goal is obviously to be a part of mental illness and suicide prevention, that we want to make sure that there are reduced rates of distress in our communities. And safe language and the work that we do at Mindframe is just one component of that that there are a a lot of other things that need to happen to go into reducing those rates, but we're working towards that as our kind of overarching goal. Ideally, we'd love to see public communication, whether that's news or the stories we share in our film and television, we'd love to see better representation and less stigmatizing content and more of a, I guess, prevention focus or encouraging people to seek help. One of the things actually I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that when you pick up on the use of negative language or unhelpful language in the media that you often reach out to see if the journalist or the editor will change the content of that copy. What's the reception like typically when you do that? It's usually pretty good. I think we all are good humans or we try to be. And if something is pointed out to you that's potentially hurting someone, we usually try to adapt and to reduce that behavior. And it's the same with journalists that they obviously have a job to do, but sometimes they're just not aware of the potential impact that their writing or their film may have. Yeah. And usually once they are aware of that potential impact, then they're quite willing to work with us, whether that's to edit something or to to get in touch and work with us on future 
stories or to do some training with us. Yeah, because I think sometimes once the article has been published, if it's already had its big impact and you're working with them subsequently, even if there's a change from a mainstream perspective, it goes unnoticed. But I guess on a micro level, the journalist, you've progressed. You've educated one more person, one more journo who next time when they're writing a story might apply that new learning so they're not making the same mistake again. Yeah, I think too, we also have ended up with a situation where we end up with champions within media organisations that they've had some new learnings in this area and then they've then spread that or shared it with their colleagues. And we end up with situations where we go in and train whole newsrooms and editorial teams because one journalist has made a change and that they're they're really supportive of the guidelines and they want to share those. So Generally, within those media organisations, we've had some really great reception. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I've learned a lot. I have a lot more to learn. I'm sure a lot of people do. But good luck with all the amazing work that you're doing today and in the future. Thanks very much. I mean, we're here to support people to do well when they're communicating about these topics. It can be difficult, but we are here to support them if needed. Well, it's mindframe.org.au, right, for more information. It is. Perfect. And we'll include links in the descriptions as well. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks so much. All the best. And that's Comical for this week. If you'd like to join the show, suggest a topic or ask me a question, hit me up on Instagram at Maria Daggle or email me comicalpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. See ya.